everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brave New Workforce. I'm your host, Larry Cornette, and as usual, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Anna Codina and Trip Odell. Wow, guys, it has been an incredible week. We launched our podcast last week. We have five episodes out now. Uh, two new episodes are dropping, and so far the feedback has been super positive, and it's been a little humbling. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, actually, we received a great message from my dear friend, Lance. Um, he sent in an audio message asking a very interesting question that I think is on a lot of people's minds. Um, it's about, well, we're going to play the clip, so I'm not going to ruin it for you guys just yet. But um, as Trip kind of fiddle diddles with his little equipment, his fancy pants equipment that he can never figure out. You got it ready? <laughs> it's ready. Okay. Just, okay. Like, don't just, hate the player, just, just... hate the game, Anna. You guys are just jealous. <laughs> okay. Okay, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm ready yeah. to hear this uh, little audio thing you yeah, got. Let's hear it. Let's yeah. hear it. But, you know, as, a, as an executive who's been trying to, um, you know, push this type of transformation to the company I work for, right, publishing company, and meeting resistance, you know, how how do I, how do I overcome that resistance? Right? I mean, how, how can I convince or, or show the value um, of working remotely to a team that is almost all, you know, from that traditional mindset? Um, one of the things that I experienced when trying to pitch this um, to my team, who has been thrust into working remotely uh, during the whole COVID situation, was there were certain individuals who definitely this was a detriment to their productivity and their sanity. Um, certain, you know, these individuals had a very hectic home life. You know, they had, you know, kids that were under the age of going to school. Um, they, you know, this has to do, I realize, with like, you know, workspaces and things like that. But, you know, anytime that these people were on like a Zoom call or trying to make sales calls, I mean, there were kids screaming in the background and begging for their attention and, you know, dogs barking, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, eventually some of these people had to like go for walks outside uh, while they made sales calls or while they did conference calls. And their productivity was definitely, you know, decreased. So how do you help as an executive? How do you help you know, make that transition for your team? How do you help set them up? The, the difficulties that we were having weren't, you know, security related. They were more day-to-day -day activity. How do I accomplish this, Creative? Because we already have, you know, systems in place. We have remote workers. I work remotely. We have other people who work remotely. We don't, we're a publishing company. We don't need to have people in the office. We have writers and editors. They definitely don't need to be in an office. We've got salespeople making calls and emails. They don't need to be in an office, right? We have other staff like, like myself. I'm not in the office. So what's the point? Yeah. So I just want to mention that Lance is uh, the chief of content and technology for the travel industry. Um, for his company. They do a lot of publishing, a lot of media. So that's something that he's been struggling with lately. Um, I don't know, Tripp and Larry, what are your thoughts? I'll let you guys dive in first. I think there's a ton. I mean, it's a really interesting call. And I think he Lance did a great job of sort of summing up a number of different issues. There's a bunch to unpack there. I think there's the, the very real sense of isolation um, the very real sense of like, how do you manage 
all of these things where work and life are completely intermixed and you've got a lot of distractions going on and and distraction is another piece of this um and i think there's there's definitely people are definitely struggling with this and i think it's about feeling your way into the right place at work and also overcoming the guilt and shame of working differently like feeling like oh well if i go for if i take two hours to myself at 10 a.m um you know i i'm i'm slacking off but you're working until seven or eight, right? So it's really about uh, rethinking your mindset around how you're working. But um, yeah, I mean, I can, you guys know me, I can go on, right? Larry, what, do you, what are your thoughts? You know, his question, it's a good one. And it's exactly why we've been creating something we're calling a remote work playbook under the, the company that we formed, Brave New Companies. And it is to help people with these issues because some of us, have been doing this for a long time and we've kind of figured out some some tricks and tips and even our work with managing remote teams distributed teams that are spread all over the world you know we've figured a lot of this out and so that's why we've created the playbooks so we can help people i mean i've been working from home most of the time for the past 10 years and even before that on and off for the decades before that because i used to be a designer and so when i wanted to get work done I kind of flipped it. I, I wanted to be productive, so I left the office because the office was where the distractions were. And at Apple, it wasn't bad. Apple was the first and very last time I had an office. <laughs> an office. Imagine that, dear young listeners. I had an office. Uh, when I moved into other companies, it was all open spaces, cubicles. Uh, everybody's familiar with the open workplace model now. And so you tons of distractions. And so we, a lot of us would leave or work from home so that we could be more productive. But then you have the other issues. You know, I've had young children when I was working at Apple, you know, little babies that are trying to come into your office. And so there are a lot of times that I just had to get my head down and figure out how can I get this work done? And so a lot of parents have been telling us, and we're going to share some more feedback that we've heard from others. They get up early or they stay and work late when their kids are asleep, right? They lock themselves away in a different room. Um, sometimes I used to go out and work in a coffee shop, although that's kind of hard right now with the pandemic, isn't it? So, Trip, what have you been doing? Well, I, I have poor work-life balance to begin with, whether I'm in the office or at work, because I, I really like what I do. Um, but I think it, it takes... Um, I think there's a lot of layers to unpack. I think there's both the social layer, which I've done a pretty good job of managing in the pandemic. I think there is um, the balancing layer, which I've always struggled with, but I think has got new problems in the pandemic. And then there's the distraction layer. And the distraction layer is something that we all um, struggle with. Uh, and it's it's something that's baked in. So, you know, Larry, you've got a background, you've got a PhD in psychology. I studied media effects, which is really sort of the psychology of how people process information. So let me, let me, let's, uh, let me talk nerdy to you for a sec, right? Which is, uh, let's talk about what distraction actually is, right? Distraction is you've got this limited span of attention. They, they talk about seven plus or minus two, and that's your short-term memory. And the more things like multitasking is a myth, the more things that you've got going on, the more things that you have popping up, notifications, calls, uh, having to concentrate really hard to hear what somebody's saying on a video call or 
you know, lots of, of inbound emails and, and those sorts of things, that drives up stress. And this has been measured time and time again over the years is that that distraction drives stress, which actually drives more distraction. And it's this vicious cycle. So a lot of it is about managing a, the way you communicate, making your communication far more intentional and focused. Uh, you know, so there's things that we would use Zoom for. And then there's another product that we love called Whereby, uh, which is great. It's the same way that you would jump into a conference room. So it's, it's about like, how do you manage that sort of stuff and being intentional about that? What do you, what do you think, Ann and Larry? Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking that Trip and I have been in these corporate environments where we've been forced in kind of the company's way of working in the team's way of working. But Anna, you've been free from a lot of those constraints. And so you've been able to actually evolve your way of working to be most effective for you without somebody telling you exactly how to do your work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, I discovered early, early on that uh, office was not a good environment for me. Um, it was just too many distractions. I felt like I wasn't as productive as I could be. Um, and so I made a conscious effort to kind of get away from that because it just felt better for me, um, personally on, on, on a career perspective or professional perspective. So currently what I do now, um, I have a great office set up in my house. Um, sometimes I co-work with friends, but, um, with distraction, I understand where, you know, Trip is talking about because I have poor, <laughs> uh, I want to say poor work-life balance at, at, at the same time because there's always something you can do. And I don't have necessarily a family to just say, by the way, there's dinner. We should all sit down and have dinner. Uh, I, I'm responsible for myself and only myself. And so if I don't eat dinner, it's because I chose not to eat dinner, <laughs> you know. So I know we've talked with a lot of our friends over the past week getting some of their input because there's all of us, I mean, this is the grand experiment of remote work that all of us are remote, which means, are we really remote? We, as Tripp is often fond of saying, it's like, are you remote if everyone's remote? So you are where you are, no matter where you go, there you are. And everybody has been struggling and dealing with this right now. We are all handling this situation. So a lot of people have been working through different techniques and different things that are working for them. And I, Trip, I know you have some from your friends. What have you been hearing? So uh, I have an old uh, colleague from my time at Audible, Raffle, who, who uh, Raff. Um, I, I'm dyslexic, so I, I'm not going to pr try to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Sorry, Raff. Uh, but uh, the, uh, he talks about like, he and his wife juggle having two children, uh, two boys, uh, and they actually use it as a great time to spend more time with their children throughout the day. So they will take breaks and go out and play in the sandbox or push them on the swings. And, you know, I found like th that's exactly on point is like snacking your way. You know, they say that like diet three big meals a day is actually not as healthy as sort of snacking throughout the day and working when you're most productive. So if you're not a morning person, don't get up at 6 a.m., right? To get to, the, you don't have to do that to get to the office. Uh, you know, figure out where, where you're going to be most productive and focus on delivering 40 hours of value versus 40 hours of productive time. You don't, in you're in, in the office, you don't realize how much time you actually waste. And the longer you, you don't take breaks, the more likely you're able, you're going to go down the listicle click hole 
just by checking a website real quick, right? Your, your brain is going to find ways to satisfy that need to take a mental break. So I think that's a really great insight. And also it's driving the quality of his home life, which I thought was a, a great tip is really how do you get those little moments of delight with your children throughout the day? Yeah. And I actually think that 40 hours of value a week is actually a, a lot of work when you think about it, because when you're in the office, I remember reading a study back a few years ago where it said that really realistic, you only um, get about three to four hours of work done when you're at the office. So thinking about that, you really only do about 20 hours of real, real work. So when you work from home, it, that's why I think a lot of people feel so tired and overworked right now because they're putting in 40 hours of real, real work and it's double their capacity that they've been used to, plus all the things and distractions that are happening at home. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I don't know. I've started thinking about giving tasks the time they deserve, not the time they take. So for me, that's been a big mental shift because I used to, oh, talk about overworking. I remember one day I got up in the morning, I grabbed my coffee and I started prototyping something and it was eight or nine in the morning and I lost track of time. Um, I looked up and it was dark outside and it was like nine or 10 PM at night. I had not, I was, what stopped me was I was starving. I had worked like 12 hours straight without a break with forgot to eat. And so I don't know, that was a lesson for me. And it's a lesson I'm still learning that you can give a task everything that it could possibly take and it could want more. There are moments of flow state where you know you're in the groove if it's writing, coding, whatever your work is. And when you're in that flow, go with it. But when you find yourself starting to bog down and things aren't working so well, then it's time to take a break. You're actually going to do more damage. You're not going to be as productive. You, I, I remember somebody talking about this with Cody. It's like when you're in flow, good. But when you're f forcing yourself to kind of go through it, now you're introducing bad code, bugs, inefficiencies because you forced yourself to do something. Uh, you know, that's not even 100%. That's 1,000%, Larry, and, and the science behind that. So, you know, people throw around the term flow. Flow, flow is actually a, a research term that came from a, a psychologist named Mikhail Shikshin-Mihail try to say that 10 times fast. But um, uh, you can't but, say Raf's last name, but you can say this guy's last name. What's what's I happening? I couldn't here? say it in graduate school. I've practiced a lot in the last <laughs> number of years. Okay. Because I use flow a lot when I talk uh, about what the work that I do, because what what Larry and I do in product design is we try to actually make a product easier to use in the same way that you do that you reduce what we call friction or the cognitive dissonance or whatever you're going to call the, the amount of concentration I have to give to something. If it's easy to use, it's got good flow and you feel like you're in the zone. You're not concentrating on the task. You're concentrating on the creativity and the work. Uh, but the problem with flow is that you want it to be a little bit stressful. You want to be working at about 85% of your potential and then you're just in the groove, but you do that for too long and it, and the performance drops off. It craters. So you have to look at like these peaks and valleys throughout your day and sort of manage your energy in that way. You know, it's probably one of the reasons that the Pomodoro technique came about. And one of uh, my friends, Marie Pfeiffer, brought this up, that she uses Pomodoro. 
And you can literally get a little tomato timer <laughs> and set it to give a task 20 to 25 minutes because that seems to be for a lot of people their attention span for a task. And especially if it's a task where it's not a lot of creativity. So let's say you want to check your email. I think we all know we could sit and read email and answer email probably all day long. Does it deserve that? It certainly doesn't. So you can use something like the Pomodoro technique and say, I'm only going to check my email for 20 minutes. And when it goes off, I'm done. I'm going to move on to the next task. And I think that's a really efficient way. I think it's a really practical thing that a lot of people that are listening could try for some of those tasks that they don't really enjoy doing. Yeah. And I think kind of circling it back to Lance's question, like how do you do this when you have children under the age of school age or you're homeschooling your children? Because it can you can put on all the timers you want, but if your child is screaming in the background, um, yeah. it's going to be very difficult to get anything, anything yeah. done. Yeah. I mean, I had like two young children, you know, they were like toddlers and there was a whole lot of, <laughs> whole lot of screaming when people weren't napping. And I had to use some things that some of the folks talked about, which is locking myself away when I had to get work done go into a bedroom or a spare room, or if you're lucky enough to have an office or whatever it might be. And I, at one point I actually had to install a lock on the door because I love my kids, but they would open that door and come in all day long and, and want to play. And so when there are times I really had to get stuff done, I'd lock the door, I'd put a sign on the door, don't interrupt me. One person said, more than one person said, don't interrupt me unless the house is on fire. And a lot of parents got to say, I have to educate my children about what an emergency is. You know, if you can't find the ice cube tray, that's not an emergency. So there's a little bit of communication, I think, that has to happen with your roommates and your family to say, here's when it's okay to interrupt me. Here's when it's not. If I'm wearing my, my headphones, that means don't interrupt me. That's one of the rules that we have in my house. If there's a sign on the door and it's shut... Don't interrupt me unless it's an emergency, because how else can you just focus and get work done? I think it's also interesting um, because not to know, not to go into child re rearing services right now. But uh, one of the things that I learned as a, as a child and growing up in an Asian household, it kind of goes both ways. You know, um, when teaching children or at least in my experience, so obviously it's different for everybody, but in my experience, if you want somebody to respect your space, you also have to respect their space and they're more likely to do as you say or what you're looking to, to do um, when you also do the same with, with your children. So for example, when um, my parents would knock on my door to my room and ask if it was okay if I could come in, if they could come in. And they expected the same sort of treatment when I was walking into their room at the age of four, five, six, you know. So um, that was very beneficial too, to respecting those boundaries in, in my household growing up. I think also, you know, as a father of three, uh, one of the things that I've had to really dial in is is figuring out, dividing my sense of obligation or my sense of duty of being a good worker or doing doing being productive, and balancing how much of that is sort of like something that's been ingrained in this sort of toxic, like Protestant work ethic, sort of old school, like you work hard. Uh, and then my kids coming to me and asking me questions and yeah, that can be annoying, but that's also their way of saying, Hey, I need some of your attention. I need, I need some of your time. And 
that's the thing that I have to constantly remind myself of. When my kids were, were uh, they hit this magic age of around two and a half, three years old to about five, where you, as a dad, and you've been out of the house all day, and you come home uh, from the commute, and it's like coming home and you're a rock star. They're jumping up and down. They can't wait to see you. You're just the most amazing thing. And then one day that ends, right around eight or nine. And that you never get that back. I get it from the dog, right? But I don't, my kids, it's sort of like a grunt. <laughs> so like, I have to think yeah. about like, hey, they're asking for my time. And that's, I'm, I have a short period of time with them. I don't get that time back. I don't want to give that time away. And so I have to be thoughtful about how I'm budgeting that. Yeah, it's. I'm glad you mentioned that because a, a friend of mine, Mark Dale, brought this up too, that he did have a separate space for his office, and I have a separate space for my office. I had to intentionally say, if I live in my office all day long, I'm going to miss my kids' lives. You know, I'm not going to be a part of their life, and yeah, I'll be productive and I'll get a lot of work done, but I'm going to fail a little bit as a father, you know, as a parent. And I think that's true. So I've kind of introduced stages of work where I deliberately take my laptop and I'll sit in the living room and I'll work on my laptop and I'm interruptible. No headphones. I'm just kind of doing some mindless stuff like trying to get caught up on email. It's okay. We can talk. I can even hold a conversation with my kids while we're doing that. You know, then the next level is, well, I'm going to put some headphones on because I want to be here and be present, but I also want to focus a little bit on what I'm doing. Next stage, go to my office. Next stage, leave the house. Like go, go to sit in my car. I've sat in my car for hours outside of a Starbucks using their wireless to get work done. You know, I've gone places. I've even rented like a motel room once because like I have to get this done. Can't have any interruptions at all from anyone. So I think you have to think of it in degrees of how much productivity do I need? And I still want to be a part of my family. And, and I think even if you don't have a family, be a part of your friends' lives, you know, engage with your roommates, whatever it might be. Well, and I think, you know, one of our, one of our listeners, uh, Misty, you know, talked about the importance of noise cancellation and sort of even, even how you organize yourself uh, in terms of your AV and, and noise canceling headphones have been a big part of life in, uh, since open offices, since that scourge of a, of a, of a, uh, of a trend started. Uh, But I think it goes deeper than that. It's about setting up the environment so that you can get into that mental state. And I think like even in office culture, when it was on site, if somebody had their headphones on, it was, it was sort of considered very rude to walk over and interrupt them. Like people had different tells on like, no, I'm heads down and concentrating. Please don't break my flow because it takes 15, 20 minutes to get back into that state. And it's very stressful when that gets interrupted. Um, but I think there's more to it than that. What, Anna, what do you do with tech to kind of manage your attention and sort of get into the zone? I take breaks, honestly. Um, I have it scheduled, uh, alarm coming off um, to let me know that to do a quick yoga session can be about 10 minutes and then I can get back at it to sort of refresh my mind. Distractions will always pop up. I think it really, really helps to get organized. Usually what I'll do before the start of my day or the night before is write down kind of a list of three to five things that I want to do or have to do. And then maybe additional five things as like a good bonus home stretch kind of goal. So it keeps me not stressed out. 
uh, and it keeps me focused on kind of the big to do's that I have to take care of without feeling like the world is co- collapsing in on me. Um, yeah. But we actually have a couple of um, uh, people who wrote back to us. Uh, Larry asked a fantastic question about how do you manage kind of distractions when you're working from home. So we got some great feedback and answers through Facebook and Twitter that uh, we'd like to highlight to kind of get you inspired or to start incorporating maybe new strategies in your life so that if you do have screaming kids in the background, you can better manage it and get that sales call done, for example. Yeah, one of my friends, Caroline Crilly, I mean, she's kind of mentioned what we were just talking about. It's like, be honest and realistic. We're trying to be, you know, workers at home, parents, educators, you know, schools are closed too. Kids are home. And so everybody's trying to do everything in a fully loaded 40-hour work week. And it's not realistic. And so I think, you know, this is kind of a, a shout out to the managers and leaders out there who might be listening. You know, don't expect your employees to be cranking as much as they were in the office when they're working at home with all these distractions. And they're also trying to educate their children and they're taking care of everything around the house. And it comes back to that concept of, are they really getting what needs to be done done versus clocking and clocking out? Don't worry about the fact that people are cranking for several hours straight. Just look at the productivity and what's being created. And I think what we've already seen is that people are actually being more productive at home. Yeah. And um, Mona Lashbrook also mentioned that if she's on a call and working from home, she just warns the other person that her dog might be barking. Um, it, I think most people are understanding if you kind of give them a heads up that, hey, I have kids at home. The babysitter's not here. Um, we've all been in that situation. And I think people have a lot more empathy towards um, uh, our work from home situation right now. I think that gets to etiquette, like what we were talking uh, in an earlier episode with sort of Zoom call etiquette. There's a lot of things that go on that, like how do you set that up for success? Uh, you know, there's a lot of bad etiquette in on-site meetings where people are like typing on their laptops during the meeting or they're checking email. They're checked out. They're not actually paying attention. Um, I think it takes a lot of mental energy to be sort of on and chipper when the camera's on. I mean, we talked about that power differential or... Do I need to be in this meeting? Could I get the sort of transcribed notes? And I think like even the quality of the microphone, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback on the Zoom calls because I use my podcasting mic for my Zoom calls. The people are like, wow, you sound great. It's easy to understand you. And it makes a big difference. They aren't having to focus on that. Um, So I think being thoughtful about what works, telling people like, look, I need you to understand I've got my kids here today. Uh, you know, I, I, they may come in, uh, but I, I, I think there's about like, how do you, how do you reframe what is considered quote unquote professional? Uh, and I think part of that is just managing expectations. You know, that's, that's a really good point. And a lot of people mentioned that is that they are over communicating with their household and their coworkers and they're being really transparent about what their meeting schedule looks like really transparent about what their needs are and being respectful of each other. Um, I know that Dana Wu shared this, Mary Grace Sandoval shared this. They're creating visible schedules for the entire household and they're tag teaming saying, okay, I got this call from two to three. Can you take the kids? Making sure they're giving the kids, their pets, whatever it might be, enough attention between calls because that's necessary too. But I think that's a really big kind of important thing, you know, 
going back to that original question, you know, if you're a leader with a team that's trying to figure out how can I be productive, how can I be effective, you're not, it's not a solo effort. This is something that you need to talk about with your teammates, but everybody who's sharing your household too, it's like, how can we help each other be productive and take turns taking some of those tasks on and knowing when it's time for you to really go heads down and have a quiet phone call and supporting you in that. Yeah. And I, I think one one thing there too is, you know, the idea of like putting in 40 hours of work, uh, you know, it's about it's about delivering that value. But I think we also have to be very cognizant of like, Larry, you know, you and I, we both have kids. Um, they're both at home, but we also have spouses supporting us, right? Uh, and sort of running interference. Uh, Anna, you've got uh, a very engaged cat, but you're not sort of juggling children. And there, there are folks that As are- As people with children are very <laughs> upset right now. <laughs> right. But like, you also have to look at like, is there a, a parent penalty? Uh, not only for people like that have two, two, two adults in the household, but somebody that is trying to juggle this all on their own. Or somebody that is has is in a multi generational home or in a city with a very small apartment. Um, you, I think there's a there's an aspect of this where companies like this remote work is cheaper, but it's not free. And so, how you deal with benefits like childcare? You know, like is there subsidized childcare? Do you give them better equipment to be able to communicate effectively? Do you make open up the the wallet for the right kind of software to allow people to time shift? with their collaboration with, you know, based on their time zone or, or their work schedule. Those are things that need to evolve. Um, I mean, what do you think of that, Larry? Yeah, I was just going to say this goes back to one of our other episodes where we talked about changing the perks, changing the benefits that companies are providing because the small companies and especially these larger corporations are saving a ton of money by not having their campuses open. And that is a lot of money that they could reinvest into their remote employees and say, how can we make your life easier? What, is, what do you need? Do you need food delivery? Do you need someone to like you provide daycare? Depends on where you live, if that's possible. But I think looking at some of those more creative solutions and realizing just a small amount of investment per employee could help a lot in terms of making them feel like they can still get their work done and they're still happy working at home. This thing is far from over. I don't think we know when it's going to be over. We're going to be working remotely. People are going to be working from home, you know, for weeks, months. Who knows? It might even be going into the next year. We don't know. So I think we have to start being a lot more creative. And I think as employers, thinking about how can I make my remote employees more successful and more productive? And that might require a little bit of investment. And to kind of like add some carrot to that stick around like, you know, executives don't like to necessarily spend, you know, on tools and licenses and, and new equipment to, to put into employees. But think about this in terms of the same way that uh, a company in, invests in onsite perks. The more, the happier, the more productive your employees are, uh, the more they feel supported in their entire life, whether it's with childcare or, uh, you know, other ways. I think the more that they have, uh, losing that factory shift based mindset and allowing people to work whenever they're they're going to be most productive that they know what their decision making ability is this is really about culture change and how do you 
Um, and that's that's why we 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 form that brave new company thing because we think it can be so much better. But culture change requires intentionality. This isn't going to just happen on its own. Um, you need to have the right tools, process, and people. There there are missing pieces for people that are the glue that hold all of the work together. That used to be seen as overhead. They're going to be critical players in how do you hold this stuff together. You know, uh, Trip, you make some really good points. Um, some of the counter arguments that I want to like kind of think about is what about people who have um, small living arrangements? They're living with roommates. Maybe they're in New York where they don't necessarily have a car that they could escape into to do those meetings or walk um, walk without too much noise from from traffic and things like that. What are what suggestions do you guys have um, for people like that? Yeah, I remember thinking back on the smallest apartment I had, you know, that I shared with roommates and and I've seen some pretty creative solutions where people have basically carved out like a tiny corner of a room. And so they'll have like a small table and a chair. They'll be facing kind of the corner of the room and maybe they'll put something up on the wall so it's not completely blank. But they'll even put like a partition behind them or hang a sheet. Um, and I've done that. I've been in situations where it's like, I'll just put a partition behind me so you're not distracted, I'm not distracted, and I have my headphones on and I can kind of focus and get my work done. Um, I've worked, I remember going into a closet. <laughs> it's like, it like, I'm going to go sit in this closet and take this phone call because it's the quietest place I can find in the house with the clothing all around. It kind of muffled the sounds, right? So it's like, it sounds kind of silly. Just don't um, it do it worked. on video, right? <laughs> yeah, don't do it on video. One of my friends, uh, maybe he doesn't want his name named, but he's a he's a very high profile engineering executive. He said that he had set up a tiny desk in a bathroom in his guest room in his house, which I can't even imagine what that must be like, how tiny that must be. But he's like, then I have like three layers of doors between me and the rest of the household. So he said, in an emergency, I, I go into this little bathroom in this guest room and sit at this little desk and do my work. So it's like, it's kind of how big amazing is his bathroom, how creative. Really? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe his bathroom's the size of my house. That's, well, that's, a, that's a hard that to That could be a good suggestion, though. I mean, what you could do is go into your bathtub or shower, decorate it so it looks kind of like there's a window or like put a little, <laughs> you know, a sticky plant and just sit there <laughs> and have it look a little more like a desk situation than than an actual bathtub. I think I think the other thing, too, is that there's there's two pieces to that is one. How do you get the right um, sort of, in tech, we have Agile and Scrum. And a Scrum is a meeting, a very short meeting where you, somebody facilitates that meeting. Everybody in that team goes around. They give a quick blurb on what they're working on today, what's blocking them, where do they need insight. And it's a, it's a quick share and you're done and people are off to the races and they're working. I think create, using tools that are really good at like a quick, the same way that you'd say, hey, can I get five minutes in with the whiteboard in the conference room? That's what how we use Whereby uh, over Zoom because it's just you click and you're in the session. It's a quick conversation and you're out. Um, but I think also uh, we're, we're looking at these folks that are more limited in terms of their space. Uh, is that still the case where you have a work from anywhere environment? Do those people, are those people empowered to move someplace new where they do have the space? 
right? Some people may choose to live that city life, but even those rents are going, I mean, like Manhattan is just crashing from a, from a, a real estate perspective because people are leaving, right? So you're, you're getting, you're taking some of the pressure out of that housing market and people can maybe have a little bit more room. And that's going to influence a lot of the choices that are happening. So it's bumpy. It's uncomfortable because it's new. Um, but that new normal can be so much better for everybody. No, that's a really good point. I, I think we we feel like we've been in this forever because <laughs> it, it certainly feels that way. But I mean, we really kind of started down this path of uh, maybe we should work from home and, and tech saying that only in like late February, March. So this is really new and it's not surprising that we're struggling, companies are struggling, teams are struggling, leaders are trying to figure out how to best service their teams. We'll find our way through it. I think, you know, we we have some suggestions we shared here, but I think there's a lot of things. It's going to require a lot of discussion, conversation, and listening and people sharing ideas. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, we actually want to end this episode on a final note that Lance had left us. He um, really enjoyed our first episode, so we would love to share what he said to us with the audience today. Uh, we'd also like to mention that if you would love to send us audio messages or comments or review us, uh, please go ahead and do that. You can always email us at either Anna at thebraveworkforce.com or Anna at bravenewcompanies.com. Um, with any message that you'd like to send us, I will be sure to forward it to our lovely co-hosts today. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you guys supporting us and uh, we hope to bring more relevant content to you. So if you have a question, send us an email. Um, we're more than happy to hear hear it, play it on the podcast and answer it too. And if you're interested in learning more about the playbook that Larry mentioned uh, or talking to us about uh, how do you lead cultural transformational change at your company to really kind of light up the opportunity that's in front of all of us. Visit us uh, either through the channels that Anna mentioned or uh, bravenewcompanies.com. So that's another episode in the books. Let's let Lance play us out. Larry, do you have any final thoughts? No, I was just going to say, feel free to reach out to us. I mean, we really want to help people succeed with this. We've been doing it for a while. It's been bumpy, but the net benefits are super positive. We love it. And we want to get you to a point where you're loving it too. Great. So with all of that said, we'll let Lance wrap us up for today. In the meantime, thanks for listening this week. This is Anna, Larry, and Tripp saying have a great week and keep putting one foot in front of the other and get out on the trampoline with the kids every once in a while. Better days are ahead. I just want to say thank you because... You've inspired me on many levels. And, you know, first and foremost, um, you've reminded me about the benefits of working remotely. It's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you take for granted after a while. And I've been working remotely most of my life as well. But the fact that I can get up in the morning and I don't have a commute and I can live almost anywhere in the world and I do have some flexibility in my hours and I have so much more free time, it's, it's a huge benefit. And also, you've inspired me to get involved. You've inspired me to really help with this transformative revolution. It's, it was a good, inspiring talk. I know it was just an overall general piece, but you all got me very excited about it. And, and I think that's great. 